0: Go ahead and have a seat. You go before me and you shield my way. I love how that song ended. We're doing a sermon series on beyond order. And what I mean by that is God didn't create the world just to forgive our sins, just to get us saved. He gets us saved for something and to something. Getting saved is easy. Knowing what God wants us to do is a lifelong task, and we have to keep at it all the time. And so often in church, we talk about getting our lives in order, which we need to do, but we don't get our lives in order just to get our lives in order. We get our lives in order in order to do the kind of missionary work that uh, the folks were talking about at his nesting place to do what God made us to do, whether that's building a factory and hiring people and getting stuff done or whatever it is we're doing, raising a family, whatever it is. And we need to do that. So we need to move beyond order into action. I like to clear my desk. I like to work with a cleared desk. I don't like to work with a messy desk. I'm not putting down people who have a messy desk. Some of you just like that. But I like to clear the desk, but I don't clear the desk just to clear the desk. I could care less what it looks like. I clear the desk so I can get some work done. because I'm sure it will shock you, but I'm easily distracted. So if there's a bunch of stuff uh, a bunch of stuff on the desk, I'm going to get distracted. So I like to clear it off so that I can focus on what I am doing. And that's what we're doing in this sermon series. We're getting beyond just order so that we can actually get something done. God created us to achieve things, to do things, to make things happen, not just to get our sins forgiven. And there were times where I was going to church, not so much... Where my family was going to church, but times where I was growing up, I went to churches, and all they ever talked about was the forgiveness of sins. Now, hear me: the forgiveness of sins is important, but once it once you're forgiven, and once the cross has done its thing, what now? Uh, what now? So, I would like to to focus on a real important part of that today, and I'd like to start by talking about how we sometimes get frustrated with other people because they don't do something, and there's nothing worse than having a family member or a workmate or somebody else not doing something. Or if you see a leader in our community not leading, not getting stuff done. Uh, If we see potholes in the road, we think, isn't that what we pay the people for in the city to fix the potholes? That kind of thing. We like to see things finished. We like to see things done. Why doesn't somebody do something? So today's passage is this, and it is the King David and Goliath story. I'd like you to repeat after me, one, two, three, opportunity lurks where responsibility has been abdicated. Now there's a lot of big words in there. We're going to say it again. One, two, three, opportunity, opportunity lurks where responsibility has been abdicated. Some of the biggest opportunities in life are handed to us where people aren't getting things done. Where we get frustrated, when we get frustrated with things, we say to ourselves, I'm frustrated because this isn't happening. And then we jump in and do it ourselves. We're going to look at the David and Goliath story, just parts of it here. You can read the whole thing in 1 Samuel 17. And I think that uh, Jen probably knows the whole thing by memory because she kind of did it while she was playing piano, which is incredibly, uh, I don't know how people can do that, just play and talk at the same time. but. Verse 23, then as David talked with them, his older brothers, David showed up in the camp. Goliath is threatening the Israelites. Goliath is telling the Israelites, send one guy out here, we'll go mano a mano, and whoever wins, that wins the battle. That way we don't have to have so many, so, so many casualties, so much blood. We'll just decide it with one person fighting one person. Kind of a Good way to start a war. We should just send, you know, just pick a really big president and send him out there and then have that president fight the other presidents and we could save a lot of money and time and trouble. And so Goliath is saying, hey, let's uh, pick somebody and I'll take him on and let's just have the battle done like that. So David was the little brother. How many of you were the youngest in your family? Okay, you guys were the soft, favored ones that got all the good stuff that got handed down to you. But uh, but you also have no baby book pictures, because by the time you got to the smallest kid, they quit taking pictures. So it's uh, my brother, Tim. There's no pictures of him. And we kept teasing him about, uh, you know, you're not really our brother. You just showed up one day. So David shows up with his big brothers and his big brothers. I was just talking with James over here. He was talking about his brother in Iowa. And I mentioned something about siblings. Siblings are those people. That you'll take a bullet for, but you're not impressed by them. Uh, you're just—they're uh, they're people you really care about, but you've seen them at their worst. You've seen them in junior high. You're not impressed with them. And so David is there with his brothers, and there's some tension with the brothers, as there always is. The brothers are there in the military. They're there to, you know, face off the Philistines, and David's just a little punk kid going back and forth on his skateboard, bringing the bread back and forth, you know, that kind of stuff, running errands. As David talked with them, his brothers there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard those words, and all the men of Israel, when they saw this man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. Something wasn't getting done. Goliath was threatening the Israelites, and they were afraid, and they were shaking, and they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And I want to talk, before we get started here, about how maturity works and this has been put together by by psychologists for the last century and a half but maturity is something we're not born with. Nobody's naturally mature. Babies, as you know from his nesting place need total care. People talk about well, um, you know abortion they talk about abortion at the when the baby's viable. Uh, folks, if it's a boy he's not viable till he's 25 years old I mean it takes a long time. <laughs> For, for viability to, to happen. Girls a little sooner, usually. Uh, boys are a little bit slower to, to come along with that. But I want to talk to you a little bit about maturity, because David shows amazing amount of maturity here. And I want you to see where you fit on this scale of 1 to 5 with maturity. So you're all going to be perking up and watching this. And you're going to be judging yourselves. The first level of maturity is that of an infant and an infant cannot care for himself or herself. That's level one of maturity. We're totally dependent on someone else. We can't make it in life without someone else. We're not taking responsibility. No baby in the world at three months old takes responsibility. They just don't. Uh, they, They need total care, and somebody else has to name them, dress them, feed them, everything. There's no decisions that get made by the baby that make any difference. Most of you are past that level. Second level, child and adolescence. Over time, by the end of adolescence, we learn to take care of ourselves. We brush our teeth because we brush our teeth, not because mom told us. By the end of adolescence, we shouldn't have someone telling us, do your homework. Uh, We should be basically washing ourselves, dressing ourselves, choosing what we're going to wear, doing basic stuff. We're taking care of ourselves. We're taking responsibility for ourselves. And we know we've come to the end of level two when we can do that. At the beginning of level two, you can't. At the end of level two, you can. That's level two maturity. Level three maturity, adult responsibilities. You can take care of yourself and also one other person. Generally, someone you're married to, a very good friend, a close family member, somebody you're caring for, an elderly parent or whatever, but you're taking care of one other person. And in a marriage, you're both taking care of each other. You're taking responsibility for yourself and also making sure the other one's okay. If you're married and the other person leaves in the car, you say drive carefully because you want to make sure they make it they're okay. Not that they're not taking responsibility, it's that you, you join responsibility with each other and you take care of each other. And in a good marriage, it goes both ways. It's not just one way. It's not just one person caring for an infant spouse. It's, it's back and forth and it's healthy. It's healthy in that sense. The third level is that of a parent. And that doesn't mean necessarily you're a biological parent. A parent can take care of a handful of people and be responsible to make sure they're all OK. And many of us had moms that were very good at this, taking care of a whole bunch of people, making sure that everyone got their shots, making sure that things got done, making sure that uh, you know the things that need to happen, happen, the things get done. That's parent level responsibility. Elder level responsibility is somebody who takes care of the entire community, somebody who's responsible for, like John Wooden, he was responsible for the UCLA basketball team. He took responsibility. And if he lost, he took the blame for that too. He took responsibility. You take responsibility for a team, a group, a company, um, a church, a community organization, or even you take responsibility for the whole community. Who thinks people have run for office who just want the authority but don't want to take responsibility for the whole community. That happens all the time. It's frustrating to watch, isn't it? When people take a position of authority without taking responsibility and being willing to take the blame. Harry Truman had something on his desk, said the buck stops here, which means I'm taking responsibility for the country. I can't abdicate that to someone else. If we drop a nuclear weapon, that's on me. And taking responsibility, the more responsibility you take, This is the secret to life, folks. The more responsibility you take, the more authority the world gives you. That's just how that works. And every HR problem in the world is when authority and responsibility are out of balance. You keep those things together. I've just given you a a master's level HR thing right there. That's If you can keep those together, all the rest falls in, in place with HR. If you can keep that working. Responsibility and authority is key, that that's together. So. I'm not going to ask you to raise hands to which level you are. I'm sure by now you know what level you are and what level is in front of you. To move forward. Who thinks that there's a lot of times in life that each of us is tempted not to take responsibility? Just let someone else take responsibility. I'd rather someone else was in charge, and I'll just sit there with the remote and watch ESPN. You know, just let let the world do its thing. Wouldn't it be nice for a while? Just for a while. You've never had to take responsibility for other people, have you, Tamara? No, 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 not at all. So, here we have a story with David and Goliath of an abdication of responsibility by Saul. Saul was the king of Israel. He was on site. It was his job to fight Goliath or get someone to fight him. Or to manage the process. To take And if that person, somebody else was fighting, he'd still be responsible. And if the Israelite goes down, that's on him. But he was abdicating responsibility. It says they were all afraid. It's good to be king, folks, but when you're king, you got to take responsibility. That's part of the deal. You can't be in charge unless you're willing to take the lumps that come with it. And people in high school, every kid says, I'm going to be a leader someday. I'm thinking, oh, are you sure? Are you sure you want to do that? Because with leadership comes... Yeah, and complaints and all kinds of other stuff that comes your way. And the farther up in leadership you go, the closer you get to 50% of the people hating you. Uh, look, look at every president in, your, in recent history, 50% of the people have hated that that president. That's just how that works. The farther up you go, the more people hate you. you got to be able to deal with that. And you got to be able to handle nasty phone calls and all the complaints that come with it. It's part of the deal. It's part of responsibility. David... King David, hunky kid, notices that responsibility has been abdicated and points it out. And his brothers get ticked at him. His brothers get mad that he even points it out. How come nobody is doing anything about this? Here I am, you know, teenage skateboarder, and I'm showing up, and these people aren't doing anything. So let's look at what happens. When we see things aren't getting done, what we can do is explore solutions and get a little indignant about it. It's okay to be a little indignant when things aren't getting done. And look at ways we can get around. David's doing this. Look at this here in verse 26. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Or who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He's indignant. Who is this Philistine? He's ticked off. Why, why aren't you guys doing something? And by the way, is there a reward for this? Kind of throwing that out there, which is kind of implying that he's kind of interested. What's the pay for this job, by the way? It, one of them is a tax-free life. I'd go right after Goliath right there. It just, uh, it, it get, not have to pay taxes the rest of my life. Of course, that would put John out of business because he's a DPA. But still, there's, yeah, that's, he's kind of checking it out here. And this is kind of, it's making his brothers mad because he's implying that he's kind of interested in taking the job. He's interested in what? Taking responsibility, where it's been abdicated. Who here has ever been in a situation where somebody important around you abdicated responsibility? It happens all the time. And we learn it, if you grow up with siblings, if something gets broken in the house, we point to our brothers and sisters, don't we? It's not me. It was him. We have siblings, so we have someone to blame. But really, we get in the habit of not taking responsibility for things that go wrong. And if you take responsibility in life, you move up the maturity scale, you move up the maturity scale, you get more authority in life, and lots of good things happen. And it's not a lot of fun to move up the authority scale. It's challenging. You guys have run his nesting place all this time, and there are lumps along the way. Oh, my goodness. It's not easy to do what you guys are doing, but you're taking responsibility as elders for an entire group of people. And that there's a lot of joy in that, too, so we're going to talk about that. So David is both showing that he's indignant and exploring solutions. Maybe I could go fight this guy. Maybe I could take this guy on. So if you decide to take responsibility, ex- expect hostility from the responsibility abdicators if you try to take responsibility when someone isn't doing something, expect hostility from people around you. They're going to be mad. When people don't show up to do things, don't get things done, and you suggest you're going to do it, you're going to get hostility from people who don't show up. That's going to happen. And they're going to be mad at you. And that's what happened with David. His oldest brother, Eliab, heard while he was speaking to the man in Eliab, became very angry against David and said, why have you come down today? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumptuous and the the evil of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. You're just here to watch, kid, little brother. So he's getting pushback, isn't he? You get pushback when you start to volunteer. Because people say, oh, you can't do that. You're not up to this. You You can't make this. Everyone's telling David he can't do it. And the minute you say I'm going to step up and do something in life, people are going to tell you you can't do it. I, I pity women who step up in the ministry, and lots of people, there's an abundance of people, tell them you can't do this because you're female. Last I checked, none of the spiritual gifts are off limits to women, including Ephesians 4:11 through 13, which are the main leadership gifts. And women take it in the they take it in the jaw when they decide they're going to. Step up into leadership because people push back, and this happens. It happens a lot. So what you do when you get uh, pushback is persist. David just keeps saying. So what's the reward for this thing, anyways? And this reward's looking pretty good to a teenage kid. You're saying, this is not bad. Not have to pay taxes the rest of my life, and I get the king's daughter as, uh, as as my wife, and I probably don't even shave yet. You know, this is this is good stuff. He's moving up socially. There's a whole bunch of things that look pretty And there are rewards for taking responsibility. You're going to get paid more. You're going to have authority. You're going to be esteemed by other people. There are good things. There's bad things when you take authority, but there's also good things when you take responsibility and the authority comes with it. So he persists. David turned around from him to another opposite him, and he spoke to him the same way. (laughs) And the people answered him as before. He just keeps saying, so what's the reward for this thing? Why isn't anybody doing anything? He just continues to persist and persist and persist and persist. He tends, he goes, people think the Bible's old-fashioned and irrelevant. Folks, this is the story of life. This is what we all go through in our journey of maturity. This is what happens. Who here gets frustrated when, when younger people just decide, I'm not going to take responsibility. I'm going to continue to... Just pull back and let other people take care of me. It's not attractive. Folks, it's not attractive to be the oldest, the oldest guy at the frat party. It's just not. It's it's time to to move on and get things happening, make stuff happen. David turned around and he said the same thing. Now the words which David had spoken, because he's telling a lot of people this stuff. So what's the reward? And why is anybody doing anything? This gets around to King Saul, who was the one who's supposed to be fighting. Goliath. It's his job. You want to be king. It's your job. Your country gets challenged. It's you. It's on you. You got to get out there and do something. It's your job to make sure that Goliath gets killed. He didn't want to do it, which is why he made such a terrible king, which is why you should never name your kid Saul. But that's a whole other thing. It's just a bad, bad name. And what you do at this point is you speak forth the word. Words are powerful. David is good at speaking forth faithful words. And you speak it out. Don't just think it. Say it. Say what you're going to do. Even if no one's there, speak it out loud. There's something about speaking out loud, what you intend to do, which is powerful. And it makes things happen. It People, how did God create the world? With tools? Words? Let there be light. My wife and I are coming up on, there she is, coming up on 40 years of marriage. Folks, love didn't marry us. The pastor didn't marry us. The state of Washington didn't marry us. We married each other with vows. After the vows, do you know that you're legally married if you've got witnesses? It's not the paper. I don't need a piece of paper. It's not about the piece of paper. It's about the public promise. The public promise brings... It brings forth a marriage, not a private promise, a public promise. That's what it's about. You are not forming a family unless you've made a public promise. You're just playing house at that point. I mean, there's nothing real there. There needs to be that public promise. That's what it's about. And that public promise creates the marriage. That's how that works. So words produce reality. Speak the word. What does David do? David said to Saul, do not let anyone's heart fail concerning him. Your servant, in other words, me, he says, David, will go and fight with this Philistine. He spoke it out. Not just what's the reward, but I'm going to do it, and I'm going to kill him. How cool is that? You speak the words. We're going to be watching the Olympics. I feel so bad for the Japanese people because there's going to be no, nobody in the stands. This is an opportunity for each country to show off everything, I mean, the, the whole, to show off their whole nation. And because of the the COVID spike, there's going to be nobody in the stands. I feel really bad for them. But when you're watching the Olympics, how many of you think that everybody standing on the gold medal thing at some point or another spoke it out? At some point. Nobody gets up there and says, how did I get up here? I I have no idea. (laughs) They were five years old and said, "I'm I'm going to stand there someday. There they are. There's something about that, about just naming it, speaking it forth. And every, put, every single one of them on that top thing, on the number one thing, every single one of them will have spoken it out at some point. That I'm going to do that. This is what I'm here to do. So then you have to leave your comfort zone and safety and be willing to face plant. I, I go through phases in my life where I'm really into something. I think it's a guy thing. Uh, but I was really into snowboarding about 10-15 years ago, and I went snowboarding a lot. And when I first went snowboarding, I realized how hard it is. Yeah, we have a joke when people are learning how to snowboard. Uh, even Jesus didn't get up till the third day. You know, you just keep falling all over the place. You know, it's just, people just. You see the money slope with, with snowboards, and people just lying around crying. You know, it's just it's just how it looks, and it's hard to learn to snowboard. But once you get it, you get it. And I was real tentative at first, and I was on the chairlift at Big Bear with this guy. And uh, um, he's a really good snowboarder. He says, well, what's your secret? He says, you got to be willing to face plant. you got to be willing to have your face hit the snow. You've got to be willing to wipe out bad. And there's something about that. David was willing to face plant. There's no guarantee, people, that when he went out there, that he was going to win. No guarantee. There's probably lots of stories that didn't make it in the Bible of people went out and just got you know face planted. Who here has never face planted in life? Just, uh, but being afraid to face plant keeps us from trying things, doesn't it? You know, holds the world record. I think this is true. I think I've heard, I heard it on the internet, so it must be true. But uh, uh, I've heard that Babe Ruth holds the record to this day for strikeouts. It wouldn't surprise me. Why? He was swinging for the fence. You got to be willing to face plant. If you're afraid to fail, you'll never, ever succeed. Wayne Gretzky said, I miss 100% of shots, I never take. And there's something to that. We call him the great one, for goodness sake. He's just always shooting, giving it a shot. You got to be willing to face plant. You got to be willing to fail. And being willing to fail, David, he went out there without armor, for goodness sake talk about being willing to fail, goes out and does what he needs to do. Here we are in verse 38 through 39. Then Saul clothed David with his own fighting attire and put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with body armor. Then David strapped on his sword over his fighting attire, but he tried in vain to walk around. He's not trained to use them. So David said to Saul, I'm not able to walk with these because I'm not trained to use them. So David removed them and he went out willing to face plant. And he's got five smooth stones, and he's facing this guy who's fully armed with a gigantic sword and the whole thing. He was willing to fail. Didn't want to fail, didn't believe he was going to fail, but you have to be willing to give it a shot. You've got to be willing to give it a shot. And this is, this is, our, this is a male and female thing, too, in our culture. <laughs> Women have been cultured not to take chances in business. And that's not the women's fault. It's the way our culture has raised them. And very often men go farther in business because they're willing to face plant. More so than women in general. There's exceptions. Some of you women I know are willing to face plant. You've done great. But you've got to be willing to get out there and do stuff. If You're always cautious. You're never going to get anywhere. We have to be willing to fail. So... This is an interesting deal. Happiness is best achieved in life when you're not going after it. If our goal is to be happy and comfortable, and we do everything we can to be happy and comfortable, and the Greeks believed that the greatest goal in life is happiness, And it's not. The ironic thing is that happiness is best achieved long term, not by going after happiness, but by taking responsibility. The people that are most satisfied with their lives are the people who've moved up the responsibility ladder and have a meaningful life to show for it. Our life takes on meaning when we start to care for other people. That's how that works. What a perfect day for his nesting place to be here. I can't imagine a more meaningful thing than what you guys are doing. Because when we do those things, and it doesn't have to be churchy and it doesn't have to be religious, you can be really good at coming up with a fastener factory. I worked for the guy that invented those black things on life vests, those clicky black things. And I used to make those at Illinois Tool Works in the summers in big tool and dye machines those little clicky black buckles. Multi, millionaire because he designed these little clicky buckles and employed gobs of people. That's just, in God's economy, that's just as important as churchy stuff. It could be anything. If we take responsibility in any field of life, it brings great satisfaction because nothing gives us more joy than seeing other people thrive because we have taken responsibility for their thriving. Nothing, nothing feels better. And those people are the happiest. Tamara said this over and over, that people who volunteer are 47% happier. I don't know how they measure those things, but there's a little happiness meter in our heads. There's an app for that probably that they could tell us. we're But people who take responsibility and actually get out there and make things happen, ironically, to go after your own happiness doesn't bring happiness. Taking responsibility brings abiding joy. Look what we've done for ah, yeah! It it just does. It's great stuff. You want more meaning in life? It's not in seeking happiness. It's in taking responsibility, and that takes a long time. So if we seek, who thinks California is designed for people and encourages people just to to go after their own happiness? we're known for that in this state. And I'm sure we've got higher levels of all kinds of terrible things because of it, because you can't get happiness that way, because it's fleeting. It doesn't stay done. Taking charge. People, we have so many, so many exciting ways to take charge. Do you know that sociologically, the fastest avenues to advancement in the world? have always been, for hundreds of years, the church and the military. If you want to move up in society, all you have to do is volunteer. You volunteer in church or in the military, and up you go. Of course, you might get shot and killed doing that in the military, but still, that's, that's, the, way, that's the way forward. Not stepping back when they ask for volunteers, stepping forward. Everybody who became somebody in the military stepped forward a lot. I got to hear Colin Powell talk about that a few months ago. I get access to all kinds, it's just my life. I keep running into these things. But, but it's, it's, it's beautiful to, to watch people who step forward and make stuff happen and get things done. Isaiah, one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, God called him, here am I, send me. Send me into the game. I can do this. I can make this happen. Nehemiah. He was upset that Jerusalem was basically completely neglected and falling apart. And he was in Babylon at the time, and he heard about it, and it, he realized responsibility had been abdicated. And he jumped in and said, I'm going to fix the walls. I'm going to fix the walls. I'm going to rebuild the city, and we're going to make this thing happen. If he hadn't done it, there'd be no Second Temple Judaism, which Jesus grew up in, and God would have to save the world with someone besides Jesus because Jesus was a product of what Nehemiah put together. I mean, these are big things we do sometimes that have lasting consequences way down the road. You never know that what little thing you're doing, taking responsibility, can lead to a really big thing down the road. So Nehemiah took responsibility where he saw it was abdicated. Jesus, his whole ministry, he had compassion on them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he stepped forward and says, I'm the shepherd. Israel has shepherds who have abdicated their job. I'm stepping forward. Did he get resistance from those so-called shepherds? Yes, he did. They killed him, we're going to say. And you're going to get resistance from those people who aren't doing their job because they want to stay in those positions without taking responsibility. There's two kinds of people. There's Saul people and there's David people. People abdicate responsibility, avoid responsibility, and people who take responsibility. People step up and make things happen. Step up and when you step up, the power of God fills you up and you can do amazing. God is just looking for people to step up. Just step up and I will give you more power than you can handle. Imagine the power that was behind David. The Bible says he ran to meet him. (laughs) How cool is that? Why was he running? Because he felt the power of God behind him. If you want to feel God's power, if you want long-term happiness, step up. Step up, take responsibility for yourself. If that's new to you, work on that. Take responsibility for another person. Go into a permanent long-term relationship with someone and learn what that's like. Move up into taking care of other people. And if you really want a challenge, move up to being an elder. And I don't mean that in the churchy term of the word elder. I mean just stepping up and taking responsibility for a whole community. That's where responsibility brings joy. We're way over time, so what I want to do is something different today. Um, I want to gather around and pray for the people from his nesting place and close that way. Uh, I'm going to have you guys gather up here with Chris, too, because Chris is our his nesting place person. I'd like the whole congregation to gather around them. And uh, those of you who like taking responsibility, you to be the first ones jumping up here to pray for them. (laughs) Right up here, his nesting place people. Right where Judy is, everybody gather around Judy, and then I want everyone else to put your hands on Chris and the group. Chris was coming to our church for several weeks, and she stepped forward when she heard about his nesting place because it wasn't getting done. And uh, she stepped forward and said, "I'm going to do that. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to make this. I'm going to re-energize the the connection between this congregation and their primary ministry. And the Lord's going to bless her for that. So." Camera's going to hand the microphone around to anybody who wants to pray over the people here,
1: and uh, start with Rick. Dear Lord, um, we ask that you uh, continue to uh, oversee these kind women and the good work that they're doing, Lord, um, for the needs that they have, whether it be money, um, material items, uh, confidence, just your love, Lord. Let your love empower. Uh, be be over them always. Amen. Mm. Father God, I just praise and thank you for Al and Judy. When they saw what needed to be done, they stepped out. Mm. And you have blessed that over and over again. And I just praise and thank you. And I ask that you give us all that, um, that stepping out, that knowing what needs to be done and step out and make a change in our in our sphere of this world. And I just praise and thank you for them and their faithfulness and all the many lives that they have changed, all the many lives that they have brought into the kingdom to work for the kingdom. Uh, they have just um, birthed more than babies, much more <laughs> than babies, Lord. Amen. And I just praise and thank you for them. And I just ask that you bless their ministry, bless everything that they need. I know they're looking to save for a van so that they can all go together in one car somewhere so they don't have to find ways to get things. So I just pray that someone will say, I have a van, or I have money for a van. And I just ask that you just um, make that available somehow. There's someone that can do that. And I just ask that you open up hearts. And um, just we praise and thank you for that stepping out. Lord, Lord, um, I just say thank you for leading the young women um, and giving them courage to bring these babies into this world. And I pray that each one of those m- mothers and those children serve you well, in Jesus' name.
0: Hmm. I'm sensing someone watching on TV right now. Um, feels a need to take responsibility financially for, for a big chunk of what his nesting place is doing, Lord. And uh, I pray that you would talk to him or her and speak to his or her heart. And Lord, uh, uh, whether that's a, a check for $8 or $8,000, Lord, uh, you've, got, you've got someone here who wants to step forward and make sure that his nesting place has an abundance of what they need. Amen. Father, we want to thank you for having given direction to these lives, dedicated to service, as they should be, to our Lord who has served us in his capacity. He came not to be served, but to serve. And we are to follow in his steps. And these ladies have kindly taken up that cross, denied the flesh, and followed in those footsteps. And we thank you, Father, for them. We ask a blessing on them, in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray this uh, this all, and we close with the prayer your Son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy Thy kingdom come, come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, everybody, have a great week. Those of you who are here in the chapel and not watching on TV, I just invite you to grab something to eat, something to drink, and uh, talk to somebody you don't know that well. And say, tell me your name. Well, you've got your name tags, but uh, <laughs> uh, connect with somebody you don't know that well and, uh, and find out what they're about. And talk to someone from his nesting place. Get uh, some firsthand information from them. That'd be great. And uh, his nesting place stuff is out there for you to grab. So go ahead and take that. Those of you watching on TV, we're so blessed to have had you with us. And have a great week.
1: Yeah.